Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice. Welcome to the third of our weekly podcast for practice managers. This is a recording of the webinar run on Wednesday the 15th of April. Good afternoon. Um, I, um, I'm going to say something now and I'm, I, this is probably going to prompt a hundred emails saying you um, Our impression at the moment and certainly I mean I know the news is keeping everybody up to date but certainly our impression is that um, things that the the social distancing the self-isolation appears to be being extremely successful which means that the fact that yourselves and hospitals um, and the community to some extent are um, reducing the routine work and also because patients are a little bit afraid of coming into into practices and hospitals um, we're seeing staff not being fully utilized um, which should be a joy especially with this nice weather um, but I know it's causing some angst and concerns um, I think you know we're all in the same boat um, it is what it is our worry at the moment is that people start to become complacent and start to think, oh, well, yeah, this is fine. You know, the peak didn't come. We're OK now. We're keeping an eye on the data every day, both from the World Health Organization and also from the GPC, who's got contacts in Italy and Spain and various other countries. Um, and there's a new prediction, and that prediction is that we're going to start to see the spike in early to mid-May. Um, so whilst, you know, staff at the moment are thinking, okay, this is okay, we're coping, we are still expecting a spike. Whether that will change again, who knows, but that's that's where we are at the moment. We are going to talk something about shielded lists, so um, just hang on in there for that one because Michelle's going to explain exactly where we are with that. I will say, I think I said this a couple of weeks ago, um, the initial list was a complete dog's dinner. Um, in order to try and save, shall we say, uh, primary care a lot of additional work, um, the coding was taken from hospital systems and I think we all know how good the IT systems are in hospitals. And therefore, um, because it was felt that anybody on the highest risk, on the red, would have been under a consultant either now or at some point, they felt that the hospital systems were going to do a good job on that. And, and obviously they didn't, which is why now um, primary care, as usual, is, is picking that up. So Michelle will talk to you about that um, you know, shortly. The one thing I want to talk to you about in particular is the fact that at the moment, I think a lot of you have either cancelled locum sessions because you don't need them, because we're not doing the same sort of work. And we have a lot of locums sitting around wondering whether or not they're actually going to be employed at any point. They, we have got them all coming on the returners and increases list. The problem we've got is that if you are going to use somebody and call it COVID so that you can actually claim that funding, you're going to have to be able to justify it, which means you're actually going to have to keep spreadsheets that shows where well, I know you're doing workforce anyway, but you're going to have to show that you had to replace a GP and or a nurse or an AHP because they were social distancing, self-isolating, had been in contact with somebody, whatever. So you can only 
employ somebody under the COVID-19 fund if that is the case. However, I know a lot of you were short of GPs and nurses prior to this. And what the GPC is saying is that your funding hasn't changed. If you were looking to appoint somebody before COVID, there's nothing to stop you doing that now, even if you only want to give out a temporary contract, but you would need to pay for it from your own funds unless you can find that COVID-19 justification. So I just want to sort of try and clarify that for you. We have got loads of people waiting to work, both returners, increasers, people that just want to do some work and just want to help. So please don't feel afraid to either come to me or your CCG. There, there are um, regional leads with the STPs for the returners and increasers. We've got, I've got over 60 on my list. And I know that the CCGs have got a lot of people as well. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to say. Um, the other thing I wanted to just mention very briefly is I understand you've been sent a sort of staff absence tracker. Now, it's very similar to the SIP reps you're doing for CCGs um, on a daily basis. I've asked the GPC about this and what they're saying is there is absolutely no obligation for you to complete that. But this is the first time ever that general practice has been given the opportunity to submit data that shows how pressured you are, that shows where your gaps are, that shows how um, hard you're having to work. So the GPC would quite like you to do it, but you don't have to. And I, I think I'm going to leave it at that. And I'm going to go over to Michelle to talk about, about um, the shielded lists. Um, so I'm just going to do very briefly on shielding. I think most people will be aware there was a letter released on the 9th of April, which you should all have a copy of. Um, and there's been a number of um, releases. And as Carol has said, it's been a little bit of a dog's dinner. Um, and so I think just talking through. So I would hope that most practices will have had their list, which is the phase two um, within the three phases. And that practices were asked to check the patients on that list to add or remove um, anybody they felt uh, was not supposed to be on there or should be on there. And I know the deadline was really, really quick. It was the 14th of April, which was yesterday. And everybody, I'm sure, will just try their best to do what they can. Um, and that's and just gradually work through those. The next list that we're expecting is on Friday. I know that Katie's asked, I think Kate's asked a question around it. Yes, the list is potentially coming Friday with the view for it being done by Monday, I think the 20th, which isn't great. We all know the deadlines are really, really short. Um, you just got to try your best. You know, everybody's working flat out. Um, and I think, Michelle, to say on that one, uh, just I think just we need to underline that. If you haven't got capacity and can't do it, then you do it when you can do it. Um, you know, there is there is no sanction. Um, we are told that it's part of the, you know, request for reasonable information that you have to submit. So at some point you're going to have to do it. But at the moment, there's no sanction. Nobody's going to find you in breach. You just keep going. I think the worry um, that NHS England has is that people haven't been identified and they won't get the support and the help they need either from the supermarkets, the volunteers. And I think that's why they're pushing for these deadlines. So sorry to interrupt, but it's, um, no, okay. it's a long conversation I had yesterday about this. 
Absolutely. And I think the other thing is just to mention, I did pull together a table, which is now on our website, which tries to take each of the three phases and, and identify the actions that you require, uh, you're required to undertake. I think the other thing to mention, the 9th of April um, letter does actually highlight the read codes or the SNOMED codes that you need to use. So I think the main, you know, the main action is really try to identify the high risk patients um, as a priority and then look at the others, at, you know, as and when you can. Okay, do you want to the questions now, Carol? Did you want to go back to a bit more of an update? Those fine questions are fine. Yeah. Okay, so there's a little bit of, um, so just so if we focus on some HRE things at the moment, um, some people, it's interesting, so there's obviously a variety around the patch. Some people are absolutely flat out. Um, some people say, no, it isn't quite as busy. Um, some dispensing staff are obviously busy and management, but it isn't probably what we all thought it might have been, but it does vary depending on where you are and which site you're working at. Some some GPs apparently aren't terribly keen to work at red sites, um, just, just saying. Um, just one of the things about bank holidays, if we do get bank holidays back, if we work them, will we get our bank holidays back if we complete? Um, if we complete. So, so that is that has been asked of the GPC. They have said that they will do their very best to get additional days um, given back to practices um, with funding, obviously. It, we, we haven't got that answer yet because, of course, as we know, because we're flattening the curve, because things are, are moving further down, you know, guys, we're probably going to lose our Maybank holidays. There's nothing, nothing sure about that yet, but I think we can all see the way things are going. Um, and so really it's, it's one of those things it's a bit of you know watch this space um, there's nothing to stop you as an individual practice promising your staff that obviously you can do that you can so you know but whether or not um, we will get something back with, with funding centrally it's that's in the lap of the gods right now because I think nobody's looking that far ahead Okay, a few frustrations with the staff tracker that you have to give um, names of the members of staff and their email address, which seems to be a little bit too much information for some people. Um, and also, it, you can't say on it if people are choosing to self-isolate, the tracker doesn't give enough information. Is there, do we have any, can we put any pressure on to, to change any of that? Yep, absolutely. Sorry, I, I haven't seen it. Um, unfortunately, we don't get sent stuff like that. It's ridiculous, isn't it? And I know some of you out there, please don't bombard me now. Um, but I know some of you out there do keep keep keepers um, uh, up to date. I wasn't aware that it's that much information. So um, I thought it was the same as, you know, who's in, who's out, where are your gaps and things. So let me take that back to the GPC and we can see. At the moment, if you're going to do it, only do what you're prepared to do. Don't, if you know, I wouldn't want my email address putting on on something like that. So why would I? Unless there's a damn good reason for it, and I, and, and we don't know what that is yet. So I'll find out the whys. You do what you are comfortable with. Okay, um, going on to what the CCT will and won't do. That um, not doing routine bloods, um, but INRs and DMARDs are routine in our view, but this is being rejected. Is that happening across the whole of Wessex? Uh, guys, I know we talked about this. I'm not aware of a blanket. I think it depends on individual labs and their capacity and everything else. Um, I think we're going to have to take that one away and have a look at it, and we'll put something on the FAQs afterwards, because I, I don't want to say, yes, it's blanket, because I'm not sure it is, but I do think 
that I do think there is a reduction in what they're prepared to accept. Okay, I think Trudy just wants to come in briefly. I do, yeah, um, by chance. I've actually been looking at this this morning for our phlebotomy team, um, and there are actually specific national guidelines that came out on the 31st of March for managing anticoagulant services during COVID. Um, and they are very specific that any, um, any INRs for warfarins that are required as part of care should continue regardless of the location of the patient. Um, and that's whether it's warfarins or um, the DOAC oral anticoagulants, the long-term one. So there, I, could, I can send you a link through if that would be helpful to this document because um, it's got everything in yeah. it. Please do, Trudy. I, I think you have seen that. Um, my concern is that was 31st of March and we're now yeah. 15th of April. And as things are, as you know, moving so rapidly, it may well be, I mean, God help us, let's hope they're setting up to get ready to do a lot more testing. That is what I'd like to see. Um, but who knows? But yeah, please do send it through and I'll use that as the baseline to go to the Okay, because they are, they are suggesting for patients who could, switching them to the low molecular weight yeah. instead. So there might be alternatives. Yes, yes. Okay. And I, know, I know a lot of our members that sit on the various committees have had a conversation about that. So yeah, thank you. All right, I'll send that to you, Louise. Thank you. Yes, please, Trudy, that's great. Just going back to the shielded list. Do we know when the weekly extractions will be um, to update the centralised register? Because it's worth us knowing that for planning our work. Carol, have you got any idea when that actually is extracted? Or? Well, at the moment, it's been Fridays um, for whatever reason, but I don't know if that's planned um, or whether it's just that's just what it's worked out. Again, we'll ask that question and we'll put it on the FAQ so that so that hopefully we've got um, some some definitive information. I don't want to, I don't want to second guess. Um, another one, um, GPs on maternity cover, fixed term contract that ends on the 29th of February, asking if she can be furloughed as was working on the 28th of February. Uh, we're, we're classed as public... Um, authorities so we can't furlough um, because the funding continues coming into practice from the public purse and therefore there are very 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 exceptional circumstances and we haven't actually found one yet um, so I would say no her contract is her contract but to be honest we're not HR specialists I would hate to say something that is later challenged I would go to your MDO your, um, your HR specialist and just Okay. Um, question, but, but my understanding is we can. Okay, just coming back to consent, can we add consent in bulk or do we have to contact individually? Lisa, do you know about, um, and this is relating to SCR A1 or AI? Um, yeah, we, I know about we, SCR okay. is agreed, isn't it? Um, it can be bulk. Yeah, it can, it be, bulk. can be bulk, yeah. Okay, so um, talking to the local pharmaceutical committees, what they're saying is because um, electronic repeat dispensing is exactly what it says. So it's people who are stabilized on medication um, for some time, thyroxine and various things like that. They, um, ERD is, is not a nominated pharmacy. A patient can go to whichever pharmacy, um, you know, and say, I want my prescription and they draw it down from the spine. So you don't need to nominate. So therefore, there is no question of consent for that. 
with EPS, we did try to see if there was a way of, of, of doing it in bulk. And we, the LPC have told us, and so um, I believe we've been told, you do have to get individual patient consent. Now, whether the COVID pandemic might have an effect on that and change that, that's what Lisa's going to check out just to see if something has been lifted on that um, for this particular uh, circumstance. But at the moment, um, the answer is you would need to get individual consent. But again, Lisa will check that out and we'll put something on the FAQs. Okay, um, CAS queries. GPs are asking when or how a practice is notified about patients who've received CAS triage. It, that, that one's quite complicated. You know what? I think it might be better. I've seen a sort of <laughs> another flowchart um, with something on that. Can we can we do some work on that? Dawn, are you aware? Have, have you seen it? I haven't seen a CAS flowchart off the top of my head, but I'm, I'll have a look. I know where I'm going to have a look for one, but I don't recall one at the moment. I've, I'm sure I've seen something that that tells us how it, how it all flows through. It might have been on that last set of um, slides that we were looking at earlier this yeah, morning. So I've got those. Yeah, have a look at that and we'll yeah. we'll make sure you get something so, and how how it works. If any of you guys already know, please tell us because it will save us save us time as well. So if you do know, send it into Louise and we'll use it. Yeah, definitely. Um, and the request to talk about requirement to provide one CAS appointment per 500 patients per day for one and one to begin to. This is a contractual change. And for us, this is 19 appointment slots per day. OK, it, it's not actually what it sounds like. All right. The one in 500 is something that CAS or 111 can use. It's not an appointment. It can be anything you want. So you re-triage those. You decide how to deal with them. It's separate to the one in 3,000 or whatever it was for 111. This is a different thing entirely. So it's not an actual appointment. What is supposed to happen is the CAS or 111 tells the patient, we think you might need some help from your practice. We will let them know. That comes through to you in one of those one in 500 slots, but it's not an actual appointment and the patient should not be told that they've got to come and see you or make an appointment or do anything. So, so it, is, it is different. Okay, thank you. Um, we've seen in the local press the launch of a testing station for ambulance workers. Why is this different to other healthcare workers testing and why do we not know anything about it? You know, this testing thing has just been an absolute nightmare. Um, the numbers for primary care are pants. I mean, uh, for instance, I know in Dorset, it's two tests per day for primary care. It's absolutely rubbish. But it is because we haven't got enough um, reagent. We haven't got enough stuff coming through at the moment. I was on a, a, a podcast this morning with social care. They're exactly the same. The care homes are not getting the testing. You know, unfortunately, it is what it is. And we just have to just keep pushing. And I can promise you the GPC are, are pushing very, very hard to get enough testing in primary care. It's just not there yet. And what about care homes? Who initiates the testing for the first five patients in care homes? Is it the home who needs to contact public health or is it only reliant on admittance to hospital? 
Uh, I don't know the exact answer to that. I understand, again, from the podcast this morning, that the local authorities are in charge of that. So they should be notifying the care homes of the process. If you get caught up in it, if you get asked to do anything, let us know and we'll get the definitive. But at the moment, as far as we're aware, it's between the care homes and the local authority who commissions them. Sorry, Carol, I think it might be they have to contact PHE, I think. Thanks, Michelle. Um, One for Lisa, just I'm sure with ERD, you have to stick to the same pharmacy which has to be nominated. I think that's following up for the pharmacy. Okay, I think um, I think Carol sort of covered part of that. Um, EPS, we're going to check out. Okay, okay. Um, EPS when you nominate, not ERD. Lisa, is that okay? No, fine, thank you. Um, so just going back to the CAS slots, if we set up one per thousand, do we now need to change the template again to one per five hundred? If it's if it's for the CAS slots and not for the one 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 that you had as part of your contract, yes, you would have to do one per five hundred. Okay, but again, it's up to you how you do them. It's up to you um, how you manage them. It's up to you where they are. So you know, don't um, you know, do whatever suits you best. Okay, I think that's pretty much all the questions. Um, it was Jenny Dot that was talking about CCT specifically refusing um, to do INRs, and that seems to be an ongoing issue. Um, I don't think there's anything else coming in. I don't know, Michelle, Dawn, or Lisa, whether you've seen anything else coming in that I've missed, if you wanted to add anything. Okay, thank you very much, Carol. Thank you, Lisa, Michelle, and Dawn. So thank you, everybody. That's really useful. We'll do the same thing, same link same time next week. We will send out the recording of this webinar that you can pick up if you want to or share with colleagues. And um, certainly any questions beforehand, send them in if you wanted to. Um, and if there's any clarification, we will send um, send that set out. That'll be alongside the recording on our audio podcast page. Lisa, I think you've got your hands up. Yes, I just wanted to mention for those who haven't seen it, we've had a few queries in about pharmacy deliveries. So the Community pharmacies and dispensing practices have now had confirmation that they are required to set up delivery services for the shielded group. Um, So there's a letter about that that we can post with the FAQs. Um, Relaxation of dispensing rules have come out, which we can add as well. And slightly more clinical, but the MHRA have published some advice around use of ibuprofen as well today, which might be of more interest to the GPs and practice nurses, but we can add that to the FAQs as well. Lovely. Thank you, Lisa. Um, just one fun that's mentioned a couple of times. Is the GPC or anybody doing anything with GPs who refuse to work at the red site? What pressure can be put to bear on them? Or encouragement might be a nicer word, might not it? I tell you what, Louise, so so because Nigel has got very jealous of the fact that we do this every week for you, and he's decided to do one starting next week for GPs. We will put that question to him and we will get him to cover that on that um webinar. We have actually said to him, we know you guys will will muscle your way in because you need to know what your GPs are up to far more than they need to know what you're up to. So um, watch out for that and join in and we'll get Nigel to answer that question. I think it will come perfectly from him. Perfect. Thank you very much, everybody. There's over 70 of you on the call today. So that's been really helpful. Hope it's been useful for you. And we'll see you next week. Thank you. Bye bye. Wessex LMCs supporting you and your practice.